This is episode 312 of the Wrestling Brethren Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Weiner, along with Seth Zillman and Jared Aubrey. And on this episode, we are reviewing WWE Survivor Series War Games and talking about wrestling and sports memories that we've experienced live and in living color. Hey, yo, J. Will, get us started. What up? This is Josiah Williams, and you're listening to the Wrestling Brethren Podcast, where wrestling and pop culture collide. Yeah. Welcome in. This is episode 312. And I am here with Seth and Jarrett, and we are going to be talking about the Paper Oops premium live event that was Survivor Series War Games. And if you listened in to last week's episode, I dubbed in Sir William Regal every time I said War Games, but I won't be doing it again this week. But anyway... And then after Survivor Series talk, we will be getting into a discussion of wrestling moments or wrestling events that you were at where either something cool happened, something memorable happened, or just it was memorable for some reason. Or it could have been just something that was historical and you happened to be there. And we'll also get into some other sports. But before we can get to any of that stuff, Seth, Jarrett, how the hell are you? Well, we are officially in December, so everybody now has my permission to celebrate Christmas music and Christmas stuff because I'm a staunch believer in no Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving. Other than that, everything's okay. I mean, I've, my main computer's down. I had to reserve to the, I had to go back to the, uh, reserve laptop in order to make the show here tonight so sorry if i messed up anybody else's time and uh let's see i got sick for the first time in three years last week had to call up work and other than that everything's great well busy week seth geez (laughs) on the other hand me um no one it's not christmas until hans gruber falls off of nakatomi plaza so please refrain refrain from all of your christmas activities until such time that I declare that Christmas is on. Thank you so much for uh, listening to this public service announcement. Are we going to have a bonus episode when we declare Christmas? Or, Well, it, it might happen next week. Who knows? <laughs> hey, if Twitter's still around, you can send out a tweet about it. <laughs> I, I was dabbling with the idea of throwing out the eight bucks just to get a screenshot of my name with a check mark beside it. <laughs> I could Photoshop you one. It's fine. Well, and yeah, I'll only true. charge you seven ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, and you can get different color check marks if I have been paying attention correctly. Oh boy! Well, you get the the actual verified the real accounts, like say the Winnipeg Jets account. They get an official tag, and they have a different color on them. Other than that, you get the standard blue check. Yeah, that's yeah. so annoying. Anyway, let's not get on a Twitter rant here. Uh, we (laughs) we'll save that for the year-end awards because you know maybe maybe it might be somebody's news of the year in pop culture you never know because nothing happened this year (laughs) next week sir next week anyway uh yeah this past weekend was survivor series as wwe presented war games and uh It was, who knew, an enjoyable show. Why? Because there was storyline involved. Also why? No t-shirt bullshit of Team Raw and Team SmackDown because nobody gives a crap. And there also hasn't been a draft this year. Also who knew? Wow. Amazing what can happen when you, oh, I don't know, stop being so goddamn lazy with your Survivor Series booking. Did you know that Survivor Series was the only night of the year when Raw and SmackDown? I, I Not can't anymore. To say it. 
Well, let's get into the review, and we kick things off with the women's war games match, which was no surprise because you had to bookend the show with these two matches. You can't really do them back-to-back. And we all knew the men's was going to be the main event, so we kicked things off with the women and the babyface team of Team Bianca won the match. Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Mia Yim, and Becky Lynch defeated Damage Control of Bailey, Dakota Kai, Io Sky, Nikki Cross, and Rhea Ripley. Thoughts? I think we all predicted the babyface team to win, if I recall correctly. And uh, I'm not sure what the future will hold. I'm, I'm assuming... They had Becky beat the uh, the uh, the gals she did, you know, the women basically the women's tag champions, and I think they did that to protect Rhea because I would assume the next program for Bianca is probably going to be Rhea. That's going to be the next uh, big feud and possibly WrestleMania match. So, I mean, for me, it's not truly war games unless there's a lid on the cage and the ending is either submission or rough stoppage only. Uh, so doing pinfalls in a supposed war games match just makes it a cage match. I mean, it's a cage match where you lose if you if you try to escape. But, I mean, they, they all worked hard. It was a spectacle. I know WWE wants to do the... I don't want to use the word equality because it's probably using it wrong, but you know, we have to have a, a, a men's style match and a women's style gimmick match on the same show. And I think that does water things down. I think it would just be better if they just waited for the right time for there to be a war games match for a bunch of men and then waited for the right time to do a war games match with a bunch of women. And hopefully they're easing up on that because when you had elimination chamber and you had two elimination chambers in the same show, it just watered it down. But anyway, didn't want to get off on a sidetrack, but yeah, good way to open the show. A lot of action and really nothing to complain about. I didn't mind having two War Games matches on the same show, and tell you why. They're very different matches. We won't talk about the main event yet too much, but I'll say it was mainly storyline driven. The women's matches match was match driven, and it was much more chaotic in the men's match, which was really cool to see coming from the women's side. Traditionally, they're not as brutal, if I want to use that word, um, as a, as the men in the match are when it comes to some kind of a hardcore or whatever match. The, the guys are usually just tearing it up. Ladies went for it. There is trash can lids and ladders and or handcuffs and everything else. They, they did some pretty cool stuff. Um, Eel Sky hit an insane moonsault off the top of the cage. That was really cool. Um, a lot of good spots in the match. Um, I just felt that this match really didn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, and maybe that's my fault. I don't know. I, I kind of agree with Seth that Rhea was protected in front of the next program. I That's what I want. I really want to see Rhea go after Bianca and, and win the title. I'm really scared that Charlotte Flair posted a picture of tied-up boots and – I had heard that they were saving Bianca for uh, Charlotte's return. So I really hope that's not true. But uh, as far as this match, um, the, the right team won. They weren't going to have Becky come back and then lose her first major match back. I didn't think so. We, we had the, the right victors, and it was, yeah, it was a, a nice uh, hot match to open the show. I have said this numerous times that I don't want Charlotte anywhere near my television programming, but if she has to come back for God's sake, start her back in the mid card and don't put her anywhere near a title picture right away. Cause that's what everybody moans and groans about. And rightfully so. Uh, yeah, uh, this match, it was good. Um, I feel and I know it's not true. It just feels like damage control was created just to get to war games. And uh, it just, I don't know. There wasn't, and and this is comparing apples to oranges, but there wasn't as much storyline driving this as there was in the men's. And, you know, obviously there's not going to be, but a lot of what I heard this past week was, that some people are 
not thrilled that weapons were introduced and that the cage should be the focus of the match and the cage should be enough. Other people have said that the weapons are a trade-off because we're not getting bloodbaths like you would do in the NWA and WCW days. So do you guys have any thoughts on weapons being used in these recent times war games matches i mean they were there it was a constant in the nxt versions it didn't really bother me because i get that that's that's why they're doing it i think fans have grown to expect table you know, going through tables and chair shots and, and all that stuff when it comes to these no holds barred matches my understanding the reason why they didn't put a roof on the cage is so they could have dives off the top of the cage I don't know if that's actually the reason, but I can believe it. I, I would understand if that's why they wanted to do it. It just still doesn't make it war games. It makes it a cage match. So, yeah, the, it, the weapons really don't don't bother me. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that it was the heels that kept pulling out the weapons, which was popping the crowd. And I don't think heels are supposed to be the ones to pop the crowd. Heels are supposed to be the ones that draw ire of the crowd. Whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. Because it, it, if you notice in that women's match, it was Bailey that kept busting out the weapons, and here's the crowd cheering for the weapons coming out. And I'm just like, no, if you're going to try to pop the crowd, the baby faces should be doing that in retaliation. But overall, as a whole, the weapons, they, they didn't bother me because it's no holds barred, no DQ, so why wouldn't you go to that? Yeah, the weapons don't bother me at all. This is supposed to be... War games. The match that it it's created for a reason. It's supposed to be brutal. It's supposed to be chaotic. Yeah, it's you, you can't. I don't think you can do that without weapons in this style of a match. Why yeah. wouldn't you use every resource within reach? I guess well, probably the best way to put it. Yeah, Seth. I mean, you're going out to the battlefield. You're going to war. Don't right? bring your big guns. Yeah, are we going to stand there and go hand to hand in this fight? It's like, no, bring the guns. Let's go. <laughs> This playing field that we're on, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Just bring your two ham hocks and let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we had a cool down match, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Uh, AJ Styles took on Finn Bluer, and we had some OC and Judgment Day shenanigans, and then they took each other out. And went through the crowd and left and then left us with AJ and Finn. And, you know, AEW is doing a best of seven series with uh, Death Triangle and the Elite. Could we get a best of seven between AJ and Finn Balor, please? Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> yeah. AJ gets the win. Um, damn you, Seth, and your statistic. But I stuck with Finn Balor. And it was the only match. Not the only match. It was one of the matches I got wrong on the night. And, uh, yeah. So AJ goes over, gets his first singles win on pay-per-view in three years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I fell over when I read that stat because I hadn't realized that, that this was his first pay-per-view win since he was U S champion like three years ago. So, but yeah, it was a great match. I couldn't help but notice, uh, Finn coming to the ring dressed like Cobra commander, but, uh, you know, I, these guys did, I can't say everything, but it, it lived up to my expectations for a first match. You know, I, I, and I'm totally with you guys. But they, if they did a best of seven and each match got a little more intense, I think that'd be great. But nothing really to complain about because really Judgment Day have kind of had the OC's number so far. I mean, I think it was like the last three uh, pay-per-view or, or paper, paper peacock or whatever you want to call it. Uh like the, the past three or four big shows, I kept predicting the baby faces to win over the judgment day and judgment day kept winning. So to see the good guys get a high profile win on a major show has uh, definitely cause for hope that this uh, program will continue in an interesting way. I really enjoyed this match. And, and yeah, if it's the first match and they held back then. I can't wait to see what's next because I just really enjoyed the the storytelling and the psychology of this match. This was like watching a classic Bret Hart match from AJ Styles where 
you just pick a body part and you work it and you work it until you almost win the match. It's like Bryant Hart working on, you know, the back uh, and going for the sharpshooter. And AJ went for Finn Balor's leg and he was striking the leg and he was attacking the knee and he was using the calf crusher. It was all just built towards that at the, at the finish. Um, I just thought that was just brilliant wrestling psychology. Ultimately, AJ wins with, with the phenomenal forearm and not the calf crusher, but I just thought that that whole series through the entire match and just kept going back to the leg, kept going back to the leg. Fowler would go for a coup de gras and then he'd miss and it could stumble on the leg. It just all added to that fantastic psychology and storytelling. So I, I just, for a pure wrestling match, if you want to call it that, uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Now, was this the first time Balor has been heel in WWE? I mean, I know he turned a couple couple months ago, but this is his first heel run in WWE, right? Uh, main roster, yes. He was a heel okay. in his second run of NXT at the start. Okay, I, I remember that now. Yeah, and, and obviously the significance for the international fan is you have the original leader of the Bullet Club against the second leader of the Bullet Club, and guys who were with the Bullet Club were backing AJ, so... Yep. Which they mentioned on commentary. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that without. Yeah, I'm surprised. Then they. That's one. There's two things that have really noticed lately about the absence of Vince. One is, of course, how they now openly acknowledge the existence of other promotions and the dialect that people use, and and you know, the terms like you don't get these multi-syllable words that nobody ever uses in conversation ever. You know the the, the promos sound a lot more natural because the words aren't being intentionally uh, made more complicated in the writing. You know what I'm digging though, Seth, is I'm digging the details like this in the matches. I'm, I'm digging the match psychology. I'm loving that they mentioned New Japan. I mentioned, or I love that they talked about how each of these guys had, had led the Bullet Club. And now here they are and they've got, you know, backup from the club just all those little details add up to a really good reason why a feud is happening and why this match is happening. And before everything just kind of seemed thrown together, right? So when, when Vince walks in 20 minutes before seven o'clock and, and rewrites the raw script, well, yeah, of course it's all thrown together. This, the product that we're getting right now and survivor series for me has been the pinnacle of it so far. It's all these little details that are coming together and we'll talk a lot about that in the in the main event, I'm sure. But this was a fantastic match for detail and psychology and history. And for time constraints, we might have to skip the main event. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, we're gonna look for a new host next week. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, you're up next. <laughs> yeah, you still got that ejector seat from the from the old days. <laughs> I got a button on my uh, my roadcaster here, and nothing's gonna. <laughs> Pew, fly pew. into like Minneapolis or something. <laughs> pew pew pew. Okay. Uh yeah. Uh, there's not much I can add to this that hasn't already been said. This match was great. Um what would have been interesting is if they would have done a traditional Survivor Series style elimination match with the OC versus the Judgment Day and just taken Mia and Rhea out of war games and put them into this. And they could have, you know, given two other girls war game spots. But that's not what happened. We'll have to see how long this feud is going to go because it's been going on for quite some time. And it doesn't even involve Edge anymore. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this all culminates moving forward. Next, we had probably the weakest match of the night for the SmackDown women's title as Ronda Rousey defeated Shotzi. I don't think anybody expected Shotzi to win. So I I think this was probably the go to the bathroom or go to the vending stand match for everybody. Yeah, nothing really to write home about. It's just Shotzi got a little bit of offense in, but for the most part, Ronda just kicked her ass and then won. So that's really all I got to say. Yeah, this wasn't very good. Um what offense Shotzi did get in, you know, she botched. There was that, I don't know what was that springboard DDT on the apron, I think it was, and it just looked clunky as heck. Uh, look, it didn't land at all. But, yeah, I mean, Ronda's supposed to win this. Let's move on. 
Yeah, that that DDT spot on the outside that was supposed to be on the ring apron and Ronda just collapsed in a heap. That looks so bad. Yeah. <clears throat> but I don't know what they do next with Ronda. I know they eventually want to get to Becky. But the pain that we're going to have to suffer until we get there, man. <laughs> All right. Next was the United States title triple threat match with Seth freaking Rollins, Austin Theory, and Bobby Lashley. And new two-time United States champion, Austin Theory. Yeah, I saw people calling this probably the, the best technical in-ring match of the show. I, I really can't argue for or against that because I really don't consider myself much of an in-ring critic. But it, it was good. You know, it was, it was exciting. A lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, I can't remember who I predicted to to win, but uh, Austin Theory having the title after losing a bunch of times definitely fits with how WWE does things. So we'll see where it goes. Um, but yeah, there was nothing really to complain about. I mean, because the guy that loses a bunch of times before getting a title run is just something WWE has just done for the last several years, and I. I don't understand why, but somehow they think it works. This match had Austin Theory in it, so this was my bio break. Get a snack, grab a sandwich. Match, I really didn't watch it. I saw the finish, and I just shook my head. Go feed the moose. Pretty much. I'm okay with Theory winning here. Um, It wasn't what I predicted. wasn't what any of us predicted, but I do like the new direction they took with him after losing the money in the bank. So I'm okay. I just, uh, I don't want to get stuck in this, you know, feud for too long because everybody needs to move on and get uh, new dance partners moving forward. Well, couldn't they have buried him for six months first before rebuilding <laughs> rather than like three weeks? Uh, attention span. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> Although the counter argument to that is the Dexter Loomis Miz storyline. So uh, moving on to the probably most entertaining, emotionally connected, fantastic main event that there ever was. No, I'm just kidding. But hyperbole aside... The men's war games match where the bloodline defeated the brawling brutes, Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens. And between the backstage segments throughout the night and this main event, this is a plus storytelling. Absolutely. Because I, the segments that they had building up to it were Sammy was talking to Kevin Owens and the whole thing with uh, Jay and not trusting him. And then uh, Sammy basically proving his loyalty, so to speak, in the main event, because in order for this storyline to have the maximum effect, Sammy does have to go that far. And maybe in a storyline sense, he is committed to the bloodline, but he, in order for this to have the maximum effect, if and when Sammy does, turn full baby face he has to have earned roman's trust because if he turns when roman's still suspicious of him then you, you just show that the heels are smarter than the good guys and that's not effective storytelling so because i know they they have a show coming up in montreal what is it uh february i want to say like i think it's the the big event before mania it's elimination chamber in montreal yeah. in february yeah, that, that seems like that would be the perfect time to pull the trigger on the babyface turn because that will get the maximum pop. Well, you, the reports probably, are as he's supposed to be facing Roman at that show, so he'll be turning a couple weeks before that. Okay. Well, well, you could also do uh, Sammy and Kevin for the tag titles against the Usos. You could probably do that as the Mania, Mania match, so you could probably do both. But, uh, yeah, in order for this to go the way it has, Sammy does have to earn Roman's trust before he turns. 
So everything they did as far as a storyline standpoint works. There's still many logical directions they could go from here. So both promotions, both AEW and WWE, their their main event programs right now are pretty darn good. I'm so giddy about this match. This is, <laughs> I don't know, you said A+. Plus. Uh, Josh, I, this this match was in, in the build throughout the evening. This this was utter perfection, right? So, like Seth, you said, where, you know, Sammy shows up, he's talking to KO, Jay comes out, it's like, you know, he's got the door open, like, just a crack, and he actually sees and hears what's going on. He's talking to KO, it's like, who are you talking to? It's like, nobody. Okay, so there's the distrust right there. Then you get the the, the thing with Roman, and, you know, he's got to go out and, he's, you know, he's got to, Whose side are you really on, right? You got to choose, and then you get the match, and the 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 building of the teams, right? So you've got the bloodline and Sammy, you've got the the brutes who's got issues with the Usos, you've got Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn on either side who have that long history, you have Drew McIntyre who's got issues with Solo Sokoa and Roman Reigns. Just everybody belonged in that match. There's a reason for them all to be there. And then the beautiful storytelling at the end. Like, the match was good. The match was not chaotic. It didn't need all like a huge array of weapons. It just need beatings. <clears throat> and that's what happened. We got some tables and things like that. But that was all just kind of like, that's the, the side of coleslaw as, you know, was coming up to the, the main entree at the end here. And that bit, I, I thought... It was KO had it, and then all of a sudden, you know, Sammy comes up and he blocks the. I'm like, no, he's too far away. There's no way he's breaking up this pin. It's over, and then he grabs the ref's arm and I'm like, holy crap, that's awesome. And then the the turn quote on KO with with the little blow, you know, proving his his worth to the to the bloodline. And then you get, you know, the the win. You get the hug from Jay. All right, so that's another magic moment in this. Finally. Sammy's earned his trust. And this is just brilliant, brilliant storytelling. The bloodline is now united, and it's, you got to call up, where is it, uh, John Mellencamp's hurt so good when Sammy leaves and he turns on the bloodline. This is just all fantastic stuff. This is probably my storyline match of the year. of Just utter brilliance. This is perfect. And there's even things that you didn't touch on, but... In the backstage segment where Roman is asking Sammy to tell the truth and he tells he, he tells the truth, I mean, and he comes up with an excuse because Roman says, why'd you do Jay like that? He's like, well, he had an important match coming up. He was defending the titles. I didn't want this on his plate. And that's plausible. So, but the best part is Roman's like, Roman stands up. And he's looking down at Sammy and he's like, get up. And <laughs> Sammy's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he stands up and Roman looks at him and he goes, let's go. And he puts out his arms and pulls Sammy in for a hug. And then the camera cuts to Roman's mm-hmm. face. Oh, yeah. And his yeah, face says, I still don't trust your ass. And just, I'm waiting for you to fuck up in this match, and I will end you. <laughs> and well, so I, I was meaning you know, uh, that that Sammy had to earn the trust, right? You had the fact that you had that moment before the match, and then in the match, it comes down to the buzzer goes off, and uh, Jimmy goes out to leave the holding cage to join his brother Jay (laughs) and Roman who everybody else stands. He's got himself a chair in there just chilling (laughs) and he pulls on Jimmy's arm and he's like, "Uh uh-uh. And he points to Sammy go. (laughs) So without saying a word, he's like, you want to prove yourself, prove yourself, go work with Jay. And in the match, he's saving Jay time and time again, pulling him out of harm's way. (laughs) What was that? He ate a big bullet there. Yeah, several. And then for 
my prediction to be about 98.5% correct in that Sammy and Kevin never touched until the end. Even on the pin breakup, Sammy never touched Kevin. He just hooked the arm of the referee. And then the callback to their match about mm, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, just amazing stuff where he hits the Haluva kick and Kevin collapses in his arms. Same ex- exact spot as before. Amazing. So good. That's all I got. So good. <laughs> and by the way, not to nitpick or anything, but it's going to be the bloodline turning on Sammy, not Sammy turning on the bloodline. Cause Sammy, as far yeah, as he's yeah. concerned, he's all in. But here's a here's a quick, and I don't want to, you know, jump off the rails too much, but based on the promo that Kevin gave on Monday Night Raw, and Jared, I, I told you pretty much what it was in the pre-show. Seth, I don't know if you saw it. But do you think there's any chance that this ends with, there's two ways it can end, or at least advance, I should say. Either the bloodline betrays Sammy and kicks him out, and then Kevin's there to pick up the pieces, or Kevin and Sammy cooked this up a long time ago, and Sammy went in to infiltrate from the inside, and this was Kevin's revenge from Royal Rumble two years ago. That might be digging a little too deep, and pulling at too many straws, but it's possible. And it would be a rare occurrence of the baby faces. I don't want to say outsmarting because it'd be, it'd be a long ass time for the letting the heels do whatever they want. But um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the, yeah, we're going to beat each other up just as a ruse to make people think. Cause that, that's that uh, attitude era uh, logic of they're just doing that to throw you off. Uh, yeah, it's but like, with with the exception of the haluva kick and the low blow, they never touched. Yeah, but what I'm getting at is what I think would be a more logical thing is think. I guess I guess the best analogy I can make right now is a Star Wars one in Return of the Jedi when when the Emperor's zapping Luke and Darth Vader rises up to. Do something like 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 the bloodline is doing something really nasty to Kevin Owens, and that's when Sammy turns. That's what I think. They don't have to do it that way. They, there's other ways they can do it, but I think they could do something like that where they're essentially uh, uh, probably going to try to permanently injure Kevin Owens, and that's what finally causes Sammy to break and rebel. You know, that's a scenario I could see, but. Yeah, they, there's other ways they could do this. You could have the bloodline turn on Sammy; it would work. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's a couple ways to go, and I'm just interested in seeing which one they go. This could easily work both ways. It, this could be a Sammy Owens plan. It could be the bloodline beating the absolute bejesus out of Kevin Owens, which. You know, now that I kind of stop and think about it, so if if Kevin Owens is scheduled to take on Roman next for the title, so we're going to assume Roman wins and or retains anyway. Post match, I can see an ugly beatdown happening, and I can see that. I can see Sammy being torn and then uh, eventually saves Kevin, and then the, blood, the bloodline beats the shit out of him for. Uh, trying to stop them or trying to save Kevin because then we know that Sammy's supposed to face Roman next. So there's got to be a trigger in there somewhere. So I, I kind of like that idea. It makes perfect sense. Um, you know, you draw on that history with, with Sammy Zane and, and Kevin Owens. And he even saw, even in, in war games, when the low blow happened, it happened, but there's that look on Sammy's face like, oh boy. You know, like it, just for a second, he just, and I don't know if not sure is the way to put it, but 
it's like, oh, this 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 is not good. But he did it. He hits a Luva kick, and he had, you know he did his thing. Uh, yeah, I, I I like the beatdown idea. Um, there's probably other ways they could go, but given that they're turning around with, with both uh, Kevin and Sammy, and then you know uh, reportedly facing them two facing the Usos at, at WrestleMania, I, I gotta find that trigger in there somewhere. And and what's what's better than an old fashioned you know four on one beatdown? Last thing I'll say on this was the pop that happened when Sammy got his hug from Jay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Storytelling so, matters. <laughs> yep. All you got to do is hook them. <laughs> All right. So predictions. Uh, Seth and Jarrett went four and one on the night for 10 points. I went three and two for nine points. So not too much different. Year to date through Survivor Series, Jarrett 98 and 37 for 307 points. Myself at 93 and 42 for 272 points. And Seth at 86 and 49 for 257 points. Nothing is going to really change, but there is one more pay per view left. And that is Ring of Honor Final Battle on December 10th. So, um,. I did. I think I messed up my schedule things. Yes, next week we will be previewing and predicting final battle, and then the week after will be our year-end awards. So, um, and then we will reset the scoreboard for 2023. So is this is this where I do the the prices right thing where everybody else bids? And I come in and bid one dollar, and then I just make sure I pick everything that you do, <laughs> Josh, just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, Jared's gonna pull an admin card and be like, uh, "I would like to predict after Josh predicts." <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. We were going to have a discussion on our live moments, things in wrestling, for the most part. Maybe a little other sports. Things that you have been at, events that you have been at, and why they were memorable or just special. So uh, we can probably go our roundtable style. Seth, we will start with you. Well, for wrestling, there's definitely three big ones. I did attend Spring Stampede 1994, I want to say it was, for WCW. It was at the... Rosemont Horizon. I think it's the only show WCW ever did at the Rosemont Horizon at the time. They might have done a couple others, but but it, that was the main event of Steamboat and Flair, where they did a kind of a dusty finish, teasing that Steamboat won the match, and actually Flair wound up retaining. But there were two things in that of note also, aside from there being Flair-Steamboat in the main event, which I don't have to tell you was was a great match. But that also had the, it was the Nasty Boys against Cactus Jack and Max Payne, I want to say. And it was one of those no-holds-barred matches, and they're brawling all over the place, because it's one of Mick Foley's personal favorite matches that he had. Uh, so, and so I figured it was notable that I mentioned that. And also, there was the, the Great Muda against Stunning Steve Austin. And I heard this Steve Austin guy went on to have some success as well. But anyway, the I did the the reason why that match is notable for me is that was the first time I ever saw a top rope Hurricane Rana because Muda did that to to Austin. And this is 1994, so not everybody was doing Hurricane Ranas. You know, they're basically Frankensteiners, and there was Scott Steiner, and maybe two or three other people that I'd seen do it. This is the first time I saw a top rope one. And that just seems so amazing. Now you see them all the time, but seeing that, you know, what is it, almost 30 years ago now, was a pretty big deal. And then the other two that, that I would definitely mention would be uh, the original All In, which, of course, obviously, Josh, you were there too. You were sitting right next to me. Uh, most notably of that, I think the biggest thing for me was when we were getting ready for the uh, NWA title match between Cody and 
Nick Aldis. There were several minutes where it's like, Aldis and Cody were just doing their kind of death stares at each other in the middle of the ring right before they ring the bell, and everybody's rising to their feet, clapping hands over their head. It was one of the most amazing build-up reactions that I'd seen in person for, for any match, because it truly felt like we were seeing something big. And uh, I don't want to be a downer on it, but it's like the only thing that could have been better for that is if Dusty was still with us at the time, because the whole visual of Dusty embracing his son as the NWA champion just would have been amazing. And then uh, I guess the other big one would be I was there at the Rampage when CM Punk made his return. You know, so I, I have the video as proof on my Facebook and on the uh, Wrestling Brethren Facebook that, you know, just as soon as Cult of Personality hit, and the place just erupted. That is the single loudest pop I have ever heard live in any wrestling event or any, any sports event I, I was ever at. And I, I don't really have much in the way of sports events that I could uh, compare to that. I mean, I've, I've been to some Bulls games, been to a lot of Cubs games. But as far as stuff that you'd point to and say, hey, that's history, um. You know, the, you know, the wrestling ones definitely out outrank the uh, sports ones. So those are the big three I have for all the wrestling. Well, I know Josh is going to come up with this magnificent list of 192 things. <laughs> but I, I need to take a minute and say, fuck you both. <laughs> because you get, you know, a, a major piece of wrestling TV every week. You get a pay-per-view or premium live event every other month and i'm sitting here in the middle like the geographical center of canada in winnipeg and you know even though folks like chris jericho and kenny omega and, and legendary promoter tony candelo and rowdy roddy piper was trained here and um you know don Callis, all these people coming from here and folks like Edge and Christian going on Tony's legendary northern tours of Manitoba. We're, we're Manitoba, Winnipeg is a history center of wrestling. And what have we got, guys? Two TV shows in the last 17 years? Yeah, go fuck yourselves. Now, as far as my list goes. Wow, what a callback <laughs> to an old bit. <laughs> Still got it. Hashtag George Murphy. <laughs> yep. You have to tag him on this one, by the way. So I'll go I'll go non-wrestling first. And if anyone has you know been unless you've been living under a rock, you know that I'm a big Detroit Red Wings guy. So I happened to make it to uh Joe Lewis Arena the last season that Detroit played there, took in all the history that is the the Detroit Red Wings saw a game actually against Winnipeg Jets uh, that was really fun I was treated really well there um, fun times fun times as far as wrestling goes I don't know the date I know it was in uh, the new I guess the new MTS Center Canada Life Center but shortly after it opened so it's got to be between 10 and 15 years ago Chris Jericho and John Cena, perhaps one of the very best house show matches I've ever seen. It's when Cena started doing that crossbody catch and roll through move, and that's the first time I'd seen it. And, of course, whenever Chris Jericho comes back to Winnipeg, he wrestles his ass off. So it was a fantastic match. Cena pulls off this movement and blows the entire crowd away. Um, it's tremendous. And the other two were the, the last two TV shows – well, actually, um, no, it wasn't. One was the last show. Number two would be uh, <clears throat> a house show that was here during Roman Reigns' first title reign as a babyface when we were getting Roman sucks and all this stuff. But I've got his entrance on video. I'm in the second row ringside. I get a fist bump from our tribal chief. Thank you very much. And, of course, Raw, he's uh, last year now, um, here in Winnipeg, second row ringside on the entrance ramp 
amazing spot to be. And my boy Ricochet picks me out as I'm wearing my Ricochet t-shirt. And, uh, you know, Josh, you captured this for me on uh, on a screenshot, which was awesome. I got the Ricochet fist bump on TV, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I know the pandemic's blurred all time, but that was two years ago coming up on three years ago. You say what now? That was 2020 before the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. Was it? Holy shit. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Because it was the, right. That was February 24th. It was. Yeah. yeah. And then March 13th, we all got sent home. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Time does fly, doesn't it? <laughs> and yeah, for as long as my list is, you were on TV, dude. <laughs> Lots. Yeah. Randy Orton giving a promo, Jarrett's over his shoulder. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, just just living here, all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Was that your was that the that, that Raw was the last list. one, we, right? We, we have nothing here. We have no major sports teams here, right? We have the CFL's one of the big blue bombers. Who's that you say? Right. Nobody knows. Right. So, <laughs> the only thing that happens is the Blue Jays win a World Series. Well, I happened to be at a game that year. Okay, well, big, big whoop. Um, there's, there's no, there's no major live sporting things to happen because we have no major live sporting things here. So I have to travel to see them all. And unfortunately, uh, I'm not that wealthy. Now this yeah, I mean, list what, is. Could you imagine if uh, Winnipeg had a, like a football team? What are they going to call themselves? Like the Winnipeg Moose? <laughs> Called the Blue Bombers. In reference to our. our uh, um, our old um, our Air Force uh, ties with the Air Force going way back when. But, geez, imagine if I lived in Chicago. How many wrestling shows would I go to? How many experiences would I have? You buggers. <laughs> now, you're going to make it sound like I'm wealthy by my list here. I am not, but uh, no, maybe but, this list is part of why I'm broke. I don't know. But, but Josh, you have – so there, there's a – sorry, I, I know I wanted to keep the show short, but <clears throat> I got another – Hey, if you extended, that's on you. Yeah, I know. So, um, Norm MacDonald, the amazing um, Canadian comedian that that recently passed, was doing a bit about Tiger Woods, right? And about, you know, when he got caught um, in in his infidelities with his his previous wife. He he was doing a bit about how how, uh, faithful Tiger actually was because of all the women he had a chance to sleep with, Versus the ones he actually did turned out to be like point zero 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 whatever zero zero two percent. So essentially, it's a rounding error. Tiger is a faithful motherfucker. Now, you guys have had the opportunity to go to all of these different shows. I have no <laughs> such opportunity, my friends. Oh, that's true. Well, my list is long, so I'm going to go through it as quickly as possible. And I even included honorable mentions of events that I would have loved to have been at, but I was not. I'm going to grab a drink. <laughs> <laughs> a stiff one. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this, these are events that I was not at that were here in Chicago. Uh, WWF SummerSlam 1994 to see Chicago Bears Hall of Famer Walter Payton. And even though it was craptacular, I would have loved to have seen the Taker versus Taker visual. Um, WWE No Mercy 2007, where the WWE title changed multiple times in the same pay-per-view. Money in the Bank 2011, because of CM Punk. AEW Rampage First Dance, because of CM Punk. AEW All Out 2022, because of CM Punk. No. Um, Yes, CM Punk was tied into all three of those things, but as far as AEW Rampage, uh, I would have just loved to experience that pop, and I probably would have lost my voice. Uh, And uh, All Out 2022, just to keep the tradition going of being at every All Out when now that's been broken, so it's not a tradition anymore. Um, The one non-wrestling one that I technically was at, but ultimately was not at. Um, 
I was at a Cubs game, July 26, 2005. Greg Maddox was on his second stint with the team. And he was two strikeouts away from 3,000 in his career. Problem was the game didn't start on time because it was raining heavily. So my friend and I decided they're not going to play this game. Let's just get a head start and let's get out of here. They ended up playing the game, and two strikeouts later, he recorded his 3,000th strikeout at Wrigley Field in a Cubs uniform, and I left early. So, yeah, those are things that I was not at. Now, as far as wrestling in Chicago, I'm going to start with my favorite one, and then I'm just going to go in chronological order. Uh, I was at the Raw is War August 9th, 1999 for the debut of one Christopher Jericho. It was still WWF back then. It was one of the worst kept secrets in wrestling as there were Jericho signs everywhere. The promo itself was great, but Jericho showed why he is the master at controlling a crowd as the crowd went from babyface cheering to heel booing in about less than three minutes. Jericho hit all of his catchphrases at the time, but it was the birth of Y2J. And the irony is, is Jericho in that promo put down the concept of sports entertainers. And here we are 24 years later, and he's the leader of a group who pride themselves on being sports entertainers. And yes, I know it's tongue in cheek, but still ironic. Okay, chronologically, March 23rd, 1997, I was at WrestleMania 13. I was in a line of people that almost got run over by the taxi that HBK took to get to the Rosemont Horizon. Uh, I left my regular glasses in the car and had to watch the entire pay-per-view indoors with prescription sunglasses on. Uh, there was the great double turn of Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Uh, there was a match with Rocky Maivia in that gimmick. Uh, there was a Chicago street fight featuring Legion of Doom. And the main event was Psycho Sid versus The Undertaker for the WWF title. Uh, looking over this card, there are nine talents from this show since 1997 that have since passed away, unfortunately. Uh, sadly, you could do that with almost every card from back in the day. Uh, October 18th, 1998, WWF Judgment Day in your house. Uh, Austin was the guest referee between Undertaker and Kane. Um, I don't really remember much about this show other than popping for Austin's entrance. This was the pay-per-view the night before Bang 316 was on Raw, where Austin tormented Vince for most of the night, pulled out a gun, and pretended to shoot him in the head, and then the little paper sign came out that said bang 316 uh <clears throat> it was the first ever pay-per-view that was named judgment day and i think the world title was vacant going into the main event uh i don't even remember the storyline going into it um i don't have a date on this one but i was at the united center for monday nitro the one where randy savage staged a sit-in and then he ended up being uh, joined in the ring by a repelling Sting. Uh, I think it was the first time Sting actually wrapped down, too. I could yeah. be wrong about that. So I was at that Nitro. Uh, April 16th, 2000, WCW Spring Stampede. This was the reboot of WCW mm -hmm. Final sure Spring Stampede, New Blood versus Millionaire's Club. The biggest pop of that entire night was Hogan. <laughs> Uh, the event was notable due to the creation of a new, a new WCW after Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo rebooted the company by vacating all the championships and refreshed the roster. Many tournaments occurred during the event for the vacated championships. The main event was the tournament final for the vacated WCW World Heavyweight Championship between Diamond Dallas Page and Jeff Jarrett. And during the match, DDP's wife, Kimberly turned on her husband, allowing Jarrett to win the title. April 29th, 20, April 29th, 2001, WWF Backlash. Uh, this was notable for Shane McMahon falling off the staging design. That was the first crazy spot I had ever seen live before. 
Uh, also on this show was Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit, a 30-minute ultimate submission match, which was basically an Iron Man match where you could win by submissions. And the main event was the two-man power trip of Austin and Triple H versus the Brothers of Destruction, where all the gold was on the line. WWE title, Intercontinental title, and tag team titles. And in the end, the two-man power trip walked away with all the gold. April 2nd, 2006, WrestleMania 22. You had HBK versus Vince, Edge versus Foley with the flaming table spot and all the barbed wire. The horrible ending to the main event, which was Triple H and John Cena. Even though their entrances were cool, everybody thought Triple H was going to win, and he did not. And this was another poor booking decision. Uh, April 29th, 2012, Extreme Rules, where Brock Lesnar destroyed John Cena physically, but Cena won anyway, which was another example of the Super Cena booking at the time. Uh, da, 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 da. June 1st, 2014, Payback. The Shield versus Evolution six-man tag the night before Seth Rollins betrayed The Shield on Monday Night Raw. This was also the pay-per-view where Brie Bella slapped the piss out of Stephanie McMahon, quite literally, as it looked like Stephanie had pissed herself. May 20th, 2017, NXT TakeOver Chicago. Authors of Pain defeat DIY. And this was the pay-per-view where Ciampa turned heel on Johnny Gargano. This is also the match of the year candidate Pete Dunne versus Tyler Bate for the NXT UK Championship. Uh, the next night, May 21st, Backlash, the pay-per-view debut of Shinsuke Nakamura. On this shame, on, mm, can't talk. On the same show, we had Shinsuke, Sami Zayn, and Becky Lynch with all the crowd chanting all their theme songs. And they all sound similar if you listen to them back to back to back. And probably in the worst main event I've ever seen, Jinder Mahal defeated Randy Orton to win the WWE title. June 16th, 2018, NXT TakeOver Chicago 2, Ciampa versus Gargano in a Chicago street fight. And opening the show was Undisputed Era versus Danny Lorcan and, um, I'm sorry, Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. September 1st, 2018, of course, was all in with Seth. This was my first experience with talent outside of WWE, not including WCW or Impact. Uh, MJF versus Matt Cross, Britt Baker, Chelsea Green, Madison Rain, Tessa Blanchard. We had the Nick Aldis, Cody Rhodes match that was aforementioned by Seth. Had Kenny Omega versus Penta, featuring a surprise appearance by Chris Jericho. And this was his first uh, appearance in the United States for a promotion that was not WWE since being in WWE. Uh, Okada versus Marty Skrull. And the main event of the Golden Elite, which was Kota Ibushi and the Young Bucks versus Bandito, Ray Phoenix, and Rey Mysterio. November 23rd, 2019, NXT TakeOver War Games. We had the Men's War Games match with the Kevin Owens surprise. The Women's War Games debut, Dakota Kai turns on Tegan Knox, And we had Matt Riddle versus Finn Balor. November 24th, 2019, WWE Survivor Series. This was the one and only Survivor Series with NXT involvement. You had Keith Lee and Rhea Ripley's star-making performances. And unfortunately, we had Valter's quick elimination in the Survivor Series match. February 29th, 2020, AEW Revolution. Moxley wins the AEW title before the pandemic begins. It's my first official AEW pay-per-view since All In didn't count. Fantastic card and energy by the crowd, and Mox winning the title was a slight surprise, and his emotional promo afterwards was just a sign of future things to come. September 5th, 2021, AEW All Out, probably the best pay-per-view I've been to. You had CM Punk's debut match. You had the AEW debut and surprises of Ruby Soho, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole. Great card, top to bottom. Match of the year candidate, Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers in a steel cage. And the sleeper match of Miro, remember that guy, versus oh, yeah. Eddie Kingston. And then most recently, November 23rd, 2022, AEW Dynamite, Thanksgiving Eve, Full Gear Fallout, 
which was a TV show that did not live up to the expectations. I'm not sure if TV energy is different than pay-per-view energy for AEW, but um, Seth, I get, you might be able to talk to that more because you've been to more TV shows for AEW than I have, but there was no MJF. A handful of talent that was on the pay-per-view was not on the Fallout show. Uh, it could have just been where I was sitting, too. I was in the upper level of the 200s in uh, the Wintrust Arena. Um, but the one highlight for the one person who was with us who did love the show, and that was my godson, uh, it was his first AEW show, and he had a blast. And I guess in the end, that's all that matters. So that's the wrestling part. Uh, I will quickly buzz through my... Oh, there's more. Well, my non-wrestling stuff. <laughs> uh, Major League Baseball, October 12th, 1993. I was at the game where the White Sox were eliminated by the Toronto Blue Jays in the American League Championship Series. Uh, I remember sitting so high up that if I stretched my arms would touch the underside of the overhang on the top of the stadium. I was in the last row. This was when the Comiskey Park's second iteration was brand new, and it still featured the terrifying narrow concrete stairs where you got vertigo the higher up you went. Uh, the Blue Jays led 3-2 to two going into the ninth. Toronto scored three in the top of the ninth. White Sox ended up scoring one in the bottom of the ninth. Had the runs not been given up, might have had a tie game and extra innings. White Sox were eliminated four games to two. June 30th, 1998, Sammy Sosa hits his 20th home run in the month of June. Uh, the home run trot was marred by an idiot fan running on the field to high-five Sosa, and he was tackled by security. Earlier in the at-bat, however, he did lace one foul down the left field line and went directly over my head as that's where we were sitting. October 3rd, 1998, Cubs NLDS eliminated by the Braves. I was in the right field bleachers or close in a section nearby. I can't remember which. Uh, Atlanta swept the Cubs three games to nothing, but I got to see Kerry Wood versus Greg Maddox in a playoff game. And May 22nd, 2002, I was at Wrigley for Mark Pryor's Cubs debut. Uh, I was in the left field bleachers. Pryor was 21 years old for his debut, and he had only made nine minor league starts before being called up. He struck out 10 Pirates, including two out of the three in the first inning, and he struck out the side in the third. Uh, and lastly, AHL, the Chicago Wolves, win the Calder Cup June 10th, 2008. Nicole and I decided just to go on a whim as tickets were still available. They defeated the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins four games to two winning game six by a score of five to two. After seeing the confetti, the celebration, and the hoisting of the Calder Cup trophy, I had said to Nicole, don't get used to this. It could be a long time before this happens again in this city. Turns out it would be another eight years, Cubs World Series, but another 14 years for another Calder Cup as the Wolves just won again this year in 2022. Uh, Jason Krog named MVP of the finals after already securing the regular season MVP award. And that is my list. Yeah. Nothing ever happens in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I skipped shows that I was at that nothing happened at. I do remember mentioning something to a gal I was dating at the time about, uh, cause she was looking at like the college uh, college football scores and I didn't understand it. I'm like, why, why are people in this? And she was from another uh, state. So it was like, she said, yeah, you got all the pro teams here. You're spoiled. When you don't have a pro team where you live, you go to college sports. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But in these parts, even the college teams suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I had mentioned earlier, next week, we will be previewing and predicting Ring of Honor final battle. And hopefully it'll be the final battle before they get weekly television. And hopefully TK splits up this roster. 
because they signed another person this week, bringing the male roster up to 96 people. And I just, wow. I just highlighted earlier in the night that they signed the kingdom and they debuted on October 14th's rampage. They took a week off. Matt Taven took on Wardlow on the October 28th rampage. And then they vanished. And Seth, I know you said they probably signed him for Ring of Honor. Well, that's all well and good, but why then start a feud or make it look like you're going to start a feud with FTR? Mm-hmm. I, I just, this is, you know, Miro, been gone for a long time. People, I'm cool with the rotating people in and rotating them out. But when you rotate them out, you have to remember to bring them back in. And you can't just let people vanish who just debuted. (sighs) Anyway, that's a rant for another show. In two weeks' time, we will be doing our year-end awards, and I will get those topics and categories out so that everybody can get their picks ready to go. And then we'll be taking the last two weeks of December off for the holidays, and then we will kick it all off again in 2023. Any final thoughts? I'm just 2023. It's like it's going to be a fun year. Uh, looks like we're going to get uh, a lot of stuff, whether it's AEW, WWE, or the Indies. Looks like there's a lot of fun stuff ahead. Yeah, I'm going to take a line from Seth. It's, it's a good time to be a wrestling fan right now. Mm-hmm. Really good storyline stuff happening, some details, some actual psychology happening. Yeah. I can't wait. I haven't watched anything since War Games, so I'm looking to see what happens on uh, WWE programming this week. Obviously, with the uh, online Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn follow-up. So, yeah, let's go. And there's still rumors of people returning, and based on the time of year, Triple H just hold them off for Rumble surprises. It's all you have to do, and don't tell us who they are. It's all you have to do. It's real simple. All right. Well, once again, thank you all for listening, downloading, and subscribing, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to the Wrestling Brethren Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast fix to hear the latest discussion from the Wrestling Brethren. You can visit us at TWBpodcast.com for posts and episodes. Visit the mothership, if you will, at BehindTheSquaredCircle.com, home of the Behind the Squared Circle podcast network. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and comments at Twitter at TWBPshow, on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Behind the Squared Circle, and on Instagram at The Wrestling Brethren. You can follow Jared on Twitter at The Bacon Rev, and you can follow Josh at Southpaw Josh. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you again soon with more from the Wrestling Brethren.